Hi everyone, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, my name is Joel, I'm the Discipleship Pastor here at Eaglemont. Excited that today we get to continue our series as we go through Romans chapter 8. Today we are going to be looking at verses 12 to 17. If you want to join me as we read those together, I'll be reading out of the NIV today. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my son Judah turned eight years old. And parents, you can probably relate to this. It's amazing how quickly years begin to pass on. And birthdays always kind of make you a little nostalgic, a little sentimental and looking back. And uh, you can see a little picture. This is how I would view my son Judah uh, as a little baby as we used to look at him as he'd lie on the floor. Now, at this point in his life, this person you're seeing on the screen in the picture, really all he did was he would sleep, he would eat, maybe say a few mumbling baby sounds, and he would poop. Then he would sleep again and the cycle would continue. Yet, looking at him, would you say, but he's just so cute? Now imagine though, if Judah is 25, 30, 35 years old, and I'm still saying the same thing about him. All he does is he eats, he sleeps, he poops and maybe makes a few baby noises out throughout his day. Would you think that's still cute? Or would you think something's wrong here? Well, of course there's something wrong because a natural part of us growing is that we change in the way that we act and we behave. There's an expectation that we will grow in this life. In the verses that just precede this passage, in Romans chapter 8, Paul masterfully impacts that when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, his Spirit, his Holy Spirit, comes to live in us and give life to us. Now, in light of this truth, this portion of Romans 8, 12 to 17, is clarifying how we as followers of Jesus should act and grow because of that. The first thing that Paul addresses here is how we now have a new identity from which to live from. If Christ's Spirit lives in you, as verse 11 said right before this passage, if Christ's Spirit, His Holy Spirit lives in you, you are now an adopted child of God. Our new identity is an adopted child of God. In verse 14, it says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received, it goes on to say in 15, verse 15, you received brought you about to adoption, to sonship. There's two words in this passage that Paul uses specifically. And it's children. We are now children. It says in verse 14 and 16, but we are also adopted to sonship, as it says in verse 15. 
Now, this word children emphasizes the regeneration we experience through salvation. That when we receive Jesus, his spirit comes to live in us. As the Bible tells us, we become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That we are now reborn into God's family, his kids. But the second phrase here is that we are adopted to sonship. This adoption to sonship stresses, stresses the legal standing we now have. In the Roman world that Paul is writing to, adoption was a significant and common day practice. Unlike adoption today, where we normally associate that with young children or infants, adoption in the Roman world was almost exclusively done with adults. It was for the purpose of helping to pass on an estate. The adoptee would then have all of their previous life essentially canceled. All their debts would be, would be wiped out and they would receive a new name. This adopted son would become the legal son of his adopted father and be entitled to all the rights and benefits of a son, including an equal share in the father's inheritance. John 1:12 says this, But to all who believed him, believed, believed in Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right, the legal standing to become children of God. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus modeled to his followers how they were to address and relate to God. And it was radically different than the Jewish believers and teachers had before him. In fact, many of the Jewish scholars and leaders looked at how Jesus spoke and said it was blasphemous because Jesus said that we were to address and to relate to God as Abba. This word Abba is in verse 17 here. And it's a term of endearment, meaning father or daddy. God's purpose through the work of Jesus was not simply to bring us to a strict adherence, but to bring us into an intimate relationship with him. God could have chosen to make us robots who simply did whatever he wanted us to do. But the Bible tells us that God doesn't just love, but God is in his very essence love. We see this in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. God desired, because he is love, to be in loving relationship with his creation. Now, love cannot be forced. I can force you by my power, by my abilities. I can force you to do something. You can enslave someone and force them to do things, but you cannot force someone to love you. That only comes through their ability to choose to love you. And that's why God made us in this world to have free will. God has adopted us when we receive his spirit as children. And when we receive Jesus, we are now child of God. That is our identity. And having this foundation, our new true identity as children of God in place, this passage now tells us about how we choose then to live in light of this new identity. Now, a quick reminder, as I said earlier, adoption in the Roman world, the New Testament did not refer to an infant adoption like we may have today. Or like, you know, if you looked at Judah's baby picture, someone at that stage, but rather it's an adult. This is significant because a baby cannot walk, speak, make decisions on their own, or even draw upon their own family wealth. But adult children can. Correspondingly, while we have been made new by salvation, by the work of Jesus on the cross, when we receive his spirit and welcome it into us, that's the justification of our sin, 
we are also still presented even after that with the choices of how to live our lives as children of God. We have a new identity, but the second thing we see in this passage is that we have an obligation. In Romans 8.12, it says, Therefore, because God's Spirit lives in us, we have an obligation. This word obligation, it means uh, obviously one who's held by an obligation or one who owes another, who is a debtor. Some of you may feel jarred by that word. You go, I don't owe anyone anything. I'm not obligated to anyone. Uh, this idea of debt is actually one that I hear about a lot right now, even in the news, because of the rising costs of inflation. I was reading in Canada actually recently that the consumer debt in Canada is over $2.32 trillion. That means it averages out that the average Canadian consumer debt is $21,183. A major contribution or contributor to debt specifically amongst young people is student debt, getting student loans. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting a student loan, but I remember even when I went to college, uh, my generation was really the, one of the first generations that became very comfortable with having debt. And a lot of the students I went with had a real misconception about what their loans were. Some people I know went through four years and got a bachelor's degree and had $40,000 of student debt because when their $10,000 loan came in, they took it as it was money that they owned. So they used it not just on education, but they would help maybe buy a new car or they go on a trip or they buy some new things, new clothing and things that they wanted, thinking that they now had this money. Now, believing that that money was there, theirs, did that change what would happen as they finished school after they were done their degree? Did that mean that that money was still theirs? No. There were creditors that still came and said, you need now to pay back, plus you need to pay interest. Simply believing that it was theirs doesn't mean that they owned it. A lie of our world is this belief that you are your own boss. No one else has control over you. You are essentially your own God. You aren't a slave. You aren't obligated. You have no debt to anyone. I like to challenge that a bit because the very reality of what happens around us would slam in the face of that being true. Think about those in your life or maybe yourself who struggle with addictions. What person would ever consciously choose to have an addiction? Rather, you get trapped in addiction. Think about the, own, the destructive patterns you have in your own life. Who would ever choose that? Or the brokenness that we see in our world. Turning on the news, you see that brokenness. Looking in your neighborhood and the people that are hurting. Who would ever choose that? No one would choose this consciously. See, this lie that we are our own boss, we are our own ruler, gives us this false sense of control. We need to put this lie to bed because it's destructive just as much as those kids who thought their loan money was their own and spent it and suddenly had to pay back the debt. Romans 6, 16 to 18 says this, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Just like Romans chapter 6, in Romans chapter 8, Paul makes it clear that we can live our lives out really serving only one of two choices. The first is that we are slaves to our flesh. And our flesh is speaking to our sin. And the second is that we can be led by the Spirit. 
And I wanna spend our time unpacking these two options to us. For those of us who have even made that decision to follow Jesus, we are still left with these things present. So first, let's look at what it means to be a slave to our flesh, a slave to our sin. Again, in verse 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, we have a debt, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Through the work of the cross of Jesus, Jesus paying the penalty for our sins justifies us from our sins. We are forgiven by receiving him. But still, in this life, your flesh, your sinful nature, has not been eradicated, and it continues to war against the Spirit of God within you. But we are obliged, as Paul says, don't, don't live according to it. Don't follow your flesh, but be led by the Spirit. It goes on in verse 15 to say, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. So the spirit, which we're going to be talking about in a few minutes, does not make us slaves. But what is he juxtapositioning that to? Your sin, because your sin does make you a slave, so that you live in fear. Here's the thing about sin, though. Sin does not declare itself outright as a master. See, it is much more cunning than that. Sin is like the carnivorous caterpillar. You're like, what? The carnivorous caterpillar. You'll see a picture of him. I was seeing this little documentary on BBC Nature. Why BBC Nature? I don't know, but it's the calming sounds and that British accent just makes everything sound so smart and intelligent. But I was learning about the carnivorous caterpillar. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, this caterpillar has the ability to disguise herself as a queen ant. It does this by making the noises that a queen ant would make, and it can also release pheromones that mimic a queen ants. So what it will do is it will make these noises, send these pheromones, and the worker ants will come around and will be fooled into believing that it is the queen ant. From there, they will take the caterpillar back to the middle of the ant's nest and will bring it right into the heart, the soul of the ant colony, if you will, where the baby larvae exist. And the ants, when it gets there, this caterpillar will continue to send out those pheromones and noises there. So the worker ants will go around continuing to build and do. But this, this caterpillar is left there with these baby ant larvae and will begin to eat them and stay there for days on end, eating all of these larvae, continuing to grow itself up to 60 times its size until it gets to the point where it wants to cocoon and then eventually become a butterfly. This really mimics how sin and Satan tends to work in our lives. He doesn't say, I'm going to come into your house and I'm going to rob you and steal from you. He convinces us that what he has for us is good. We even see this in Genesis chapter 3 when we first see Satan on the scene when he speaks with Eve. And God tells Adam and Eve that they can enjoy the garden that's made for their pleasure, but there is one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they are not to eat from. So what does Satan do? He goes to Eve and tempts her by saying, did God really say that? And then he goes further, as we see later in verse 5, that he talks about, well, but if you eat that, you will be like God. See, Satan didn't try and tempt Eve by the evil in the knowledge of tree of good and evil. He tried to tempt her by pointing out what, he, what the good that she would be attracted to. Sin promises much. It's like a good vacuum salesman or a politician. It convinces you that you want it, that it's for you, that you actually need it. 
For those of you who are children of the 80s and 90s, it's like the old Columbia House record deals. You know where you get like three CDs or three DVDs for a penny? You're like, this is amazing. And then you're stuck for five years of your life buying DVDs for $40 that you don't want. That's how sin works. It weasels its way into your life, making you think that it's actually for you, that it's contributing to you. See, sin enslaves us, and Satan is so crafty that we oftentimes don't even realize it until it's too late. He fools us into thinking that we're in control when really he has control over us. He fools us into thinking we actually need our sin. I saw a documentary once on uh, ex-cons who get out of prison and the struggles that they have oftentimes even contemplating recommitting crimes because they struggle with life outside of the routine, the confinements of prison because they've become so acclimatized to it. Uh, They share a lot of commonalities and things they struggle with, with not being able to go to the bathroom without someone giving them permission, even though they're outside and they don't need to. Uh, When they eat their food, they eat it super fast because they're worried someone will take it. They get anxious when they see utensils, even a spoon, anything that's sharp at all. They regularly are so hypervigilant. Lots of them talk about how the grocery store is scarring to them because they can't handle people being behind them. They usually would always keep their back against a wall to make sure that they weren't jumped. Even though they were outside of the walls of the prison, they still continued to be marred and to be controlled by that imprisonment, even though they should be free. Verse 15, Paul says here, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, unlike sin that does, so that you live in fear, because that's what sin does to you. It eventually traps you, and you feel like you almost have to serve it. What has sin trapped you into your life today? Is it maybe an addiction? Maybe it's an addiction to pornography that has completely hollowed out your ability to have any type of intimate relationship and forces you to live in secrecy and shame? Is it the incessant need to be liked and to be wanted that leaves you trying to find your worth through the approval and appeasement of others, but that leaves you constantly contorting yourself and regularly finding yourself in in a state of anxiety and depression? Is it insecurity that leads you to gossip and put down others to hopefully try and feel better yourself? Is it substance abuse, that substance that once promised you that it would numb the pain and help bring relief and escape, but now actually has become a source of pain and controls your life? Is it the pursuit of power and money, believing that you'll find security and worth in that if I just get that next promotion or title I'll be important and I'll have meaning. If I have just that next level of wealth, I'll feel secure. Can I share one that maybe pushes on a, a little toe, a couple of toes today, steps on a few toes? I remember back a couple of years ago when we uh, first were going through shutdowns with COVID. And I probably spent at least eight plus hours a day on phone calls with people, checking in. Maybe some of you are watching or ones that I had great conversations with. And, There's kind of a lot of familiar themes throughout those conversations, talking about the challenges that came with shutdown and the difficulties that came with that. But I found a lot of you were also 
regularly looking for kind of the silver lining and the optimistic note of, you know, we've never had so much family time and we're really treasuring this. And we are now reflecting and looking at, we have been so busy that we haven't been able to prioritize the things that matter, like our family, uh, being able to read the Bible regularly, uh, having time to worship and spend time with God. We've just been doing, 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 and we vow we're going to make a change in that. Maybe you're someone who made some of those similar statements. Here we are three years later. Can I ask where you're at? From my perspective, I think many of us have fallen into that same trap, that same trap of busyness and doing. See, Satan hasn't trapped us with something that looks overtly evil. He simply has kept us distracted, constantly doing. Church can't take priority because I have too many things. Family can't take priority because we have too many clubs, too many sports, too many activities that we have to do, and we're constantly perpetually running on that wheel. What has Satan sold you on promising you relief or happiness? That may have even felt like that temporarily, but now it really has its control over you, over your life. Romans 6.23 says this, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So we have this choice. We can either be slaves to sin or we can be led by the Spirit. Multiple times in this passage, we are told about those who are led by the Spirit. Now, by the Spirit, it's referring specifically, of course, to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. That is the one Jesus promised who came when he ascended into heaven. John 14, 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Whereas the flesh, our sin, deceives, uh, enslaves, controls, and manipulates, the Spirit leads. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. See, we are led or we are guided by the Spirit. Now, the Spirit doesn't force. It doesn't manipulate doesn't push, but it leads. But to be led, you have to be willing to be led. We need to yield to the guidance that he gives us. So quickly, as, as we kind of finish our time together, I want to look at four ways uh, that we can see that we are being led by the Spirit. What does the Spirit leading us lead to? The first thing is this. Being led by the Spirit leads to a death to our sin. In verse 13, it says, But if led by the Spirit of God, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This word misdeeds means ways of acting, wicked deal, deeds. Or, note this, one way of translating this word is a deal or transaction. That being led by the Spirit brings to death, it Breaks, it brings a death to that deal or transaction we've had with sin. It is a breaking of that contract with our sin. It is a breaking of the addictive tendencies that destroy you. And in exchange, we are led by the Spirit, which helps us to experience full life the way God intended. Again, it says here, though, but if led by the Spirit. Not if led by your good intentions or your good moral compass. But if led by the Spirit, you cannot break your sin, your destructive patterns and tendencies on your own. You need to yield. You need to submit to the Spirit. 
As Zechariah 4, 6 says, it is not by might nor by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. God's spirit allows us to bring and break death to the contract we have with sin and see a death to our sin. The second thing that being led by the spirit leads us to is we have a restored intimacy or relationship with God. In verse 14 of our passage, it says this, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. If you are led by the spirit, you are the children of God. The spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Again, unlike sin, the spirit does not make us slaves, but makes us children. Key to this is relationship. God made us to have free will, to have choice, because he loves us and wants us to love him. And he desires for us to be in intimate, loving communion with him. The Christian life, you need to hear this today, the Christian life is not about self-improvement. It is about fellowship with the spirit. I'm going to say that again. The Christian life is not about self-improvement. It is about fellowship with the spirit. It's not about you doing a bunch of do's or don'ts. God is not just after your obedience, but an obedience that is birthed out of relationship and desire. So what does it look like to live according to the spirit? Well, it means spending time to listen to the spirit of God, to be led by him, to rely on him to guide you, and then being, to being obedient to how he leads you. This means actually spending time with God. It's having a relationship with him. Can I ask today, are you allowing the gospel to shape your life and the spirit of God to guide and lead it? Are you truly taking on your new identity as child of God, reborn, adopted, paid for, and brought into new life? The third thing that being led by the Spirit leads us to is a confirmation that we are God's kid. Verse 16, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Many ask, how can I know that I'm saved? How can I know that I'm God's? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. His Spirit testifying with our spirit. In Roman adoption practices, they always had a third-party witness when there was an adoption. The reason why, you can imagine, with having an inheritance, an estate to be passing on, that can cause a lot of friction and, and some arguing. So there needed to be a third neutral party who was witness to this, so that if the father passed away and the inheritance was spread out, there was a covering for that. The Holy Spirit is the third-party witness here, if you will. He validates our adoption to our sonship. Now, how does the Holy Spirit validate our adoption? Number one, he comes to live in us. When you receive Christ as your savior, the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life, God's spirit, his Holy Spirit comes to live in you. But then out from that, that's, that's the marker. But from that, the Holy Spirit in you then also marks us by what comes out of us. The lasting mark and change that a life filled with the spirit has. We see this fleshed out a little bit in Galatians chapter 5, 17 to 25. It says this, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. Again, we've got the flesh and the spirit battling against each other. This is for those who are children of God. Still, there is the flesh and there is the spirit. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. 
Moving down to verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. If you want to know the Spirit is in you, the Spirit produces this type of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jumping down to verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, Spirit's in us, we're living by Him, then we also have the choice and we need to choose to follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. When you receive Jesus, you are made perfect. This is what we call theologically the justification of your sin. It is salvation. Your sin, the debt for it, wiped out. But even still, while God has made us perfect in his judgment, we are not yet perfect in this world. If you're a Christ follower, you're not perfect right now. You're, you have struggles. You have difficulties with sin. Through our lives, though, we are being led by the Spirit, and we are being brought more and more into alignment with who Jesus is, becoming more and more like Jesus. This is the theological term sanctification, this process of becoming more like Christ. Now, sanctification does not mean that we are sinless. It means that through our lives, we will learn to sin less. That we are not perfect, but becoming more like Jesus. As Jesus once said, every tree is known by its fruit. And as followers of God, as children of God, the fruit of the Spirit that we read about here in Galatians is, is a marker that the Spirit is in us as we grow in more and more in the likeness of Jesus. Finally, number four. What does being led by the Spirit lead to? It leads to an inheritance. In verse 17, Now if we were children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, God being the one who passes on, and co-heirs with Christ. This promise that we are co- or joint heirs of the inheritance, it means that everything Jesus received by his birthright, we receive through the adoption of God's grace. Again, one of the big differences between uh, how estates were uh, handed out between Roman culture and Jewish culture, in the Jewish tradition, the oldest son got the largest portion of the state. He would get a, a double portion and get the bulk of the estate. Whereas in Roman families, estates were equally passed down to descendants. We are not just receiving a, a small amount, but we are co-heirs with Christ. And what we see in the life of Jesus, we have now received as being adopted into God's family and becoming, like Jesus, a son of God, called by God into his family. So, what is our inheritance then? It goes on in verse 17. If indeed we share in his sufferings. There's two things here, and the first one, probably a lot of us don't really like. But the first part of this inheritance is we in this world share in the sufferings of Jesus. Read through the life of Jesus in the Gospels and you will see he was a man acquainted with sorrows. Jesus said himself, in this world you will have trouble. When we suffer for Christ, we get to partner in the inheritance that we have. Suffering, we need to understand this, is not a sign of Christ's absence in your life. A lot of the, the word faith Movements in the church have, has really gone against what scripture actually teaches us. This idea that if you are blessed, that means that you have lots of wealth and you don't have lots of struggle. If you struggle in your life, that is not a marker of Christ's disapproval of you nor his absence in your life. In fact, if anything, when we experience suffering, oftentimes it can be a marker of the inheritance we get to share with him. So the first thing is we experience sufferings in this world, but the second part of that is, in order, we experience these sufferings in order that we may also then share in his glory. 
the glory that is in the life to come where there is no more suffering and no more pain. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. As we close, and I want to pray for you today, I want to ask, I want to remind you, I hope God's word today can really set this home, that you are not your own God. You are not actually in control of your own life. You are serving one of two masters, as Romans teaches us here. You are either enslaved by sin, which leads to death, and even if it's cunning and deceiving, it is still enslaving. Or you get to choose to be led by the Spirit, which leads to our adoption as children of God, being part of God's eternal family. Today, do you want to make the decision to switch masters? To receive God's forgiveness and be adopted into his family. It's really as simple as this. It's having a conversation with God. That's what prayer is. Praying to God. And just confessing that you are a sinner. That you've been enslaved to sin in your life. Some you know about and some you might not even realize. That you're in need of God's forgiveness. That's why Jesus came on the cross. That you believe in Jesus. That he is the son of God. That he has paid for your sin. Ask for forgiveness and express to him your desire to want to follow him, be led by his spirit throughout your life. If you want to make that decision today, we would be so excited to walk alongside you and celebrate with you. There's a QR code on the screen and one of our pastors would just love to pray with you and speak with you if you want to fill that out. For those of you who have already made the decision to follow Jesus, you already have God's spirit living inside of you, but maybe you recognize that this war with the flesh has been really present in your life. That there are some habits, there are some maybe even addictions, there are some patterns in your life that are destructive where sin has come in and kind of like that carnivorous caterpillar, it's tricked itself into your life. Maybe it's just the busyness. Maybe it's where you found your value and worth instead of living out of your true identity as a child of God. And you're perpetually stuck in these horrible cycles that are destructive and aren't being led by the Spirit of God. There's freedom from that. And as we read about we have the opportunity as we are led by God's spirit to see a breaking of that contract with our sin, that you don't have to serve it any longer. I want to pray for you. If you want to join with me, just as you close your eyes and we pray, there's maybe something in particular that comes to your heart and mind that you just need to confess to God right now. A pattern in your life, something you've done, just to bring that forward to him. God, we thank you that you have invited us to be a part of your family. Thank you for the forgiveness we have from our sins. Lord, and we don't have to be enslaved to them. We just want to bring before you the, the, the areas in our lives that we feel even now your Holy Spirit just drawing and putting in front of us. That God, there are areas where we have been serving our flesh rather than being led by your Spirit. We pray right now, God, by your Spirit, can you break that contract with sin, where it has had control over us. Help us to be freed from it. Please forgive us for the decisions and the choices and the actions that we've taken. And we pray today, can you give us a new discernment, a new sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. Help us to have a hunger to be led by you. 
to hear you clearly and to look for you throughout our day when we walk, when we talk, when we eat, when we're about doing our work, God, that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit as you guide us. That we can walk fully in the identity that you now placed upon us as loved children of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.